Well, good morning. On behalf of Snoqualmie Valley Alliance, your sister church in uh, Fall City area, I, I give you greetings, send you greetings, and uh, just really excited to be here when uh, Ben put out the the APB, you know, can someone help me get a little break? And uh, uh, during the, during the um, midwinter break, um, I was excited that, that my schedule lined up and uh, that I had this opportunity. I, um, I was raised in the Southern Baptist Church. Uh, I, um, so I'm just going to give you the, the thumbnail version as best I can. Um, raised in the Southern Baptist Church in California, went to school for theater. So I have an undergraduate degree in theater. Then I came up to the University of Washington to pursue master's degree in acting. So I have an MFA in acting. And um, after making literally hundreds of dollars as an actor, <laughs> I, I felt like God called me into ministry, which is the only other profession that you might question the income level compared to acting, right? Uh, but I, I, I uh, at a church in uh, Bellevue, Washington, uh, First Baptist Church of Lake Hills. I was the youth and worship pastor there for a while, um, and then came and followed uh, Monty Wright, who planted SVA, was planted out of the Issaquah Alliance, the, the church, it was called Oasis Christian Fellowship, which was the, what the Alliance Church at the time in Issaquah. I followed Monty to, to that church, and so I was the worship and uh, kind of an associate role for a while. Um, and then the senior pastor, founding pastor, uh, moved on to his next chapter, and uh, they asked me to be the lead pastor. And I was the lead pastor for about four years. Uh, I hit a wall. I hit a, a wall. I was, I was doing a lot, as, as I was sharing with Ben, I, I was doing a lot of things out of a sense of not really knowing who I was. And because of my personality and because of my, uh, my ability to take on roles and pretend like I, I could do it the way they wanted me to do, it. That's what I did, and I burned out, and I burned some bridges in the process of, of that. It was, it was not a great ending, and uh, I went through and spent some time. Uh, my, my family and I ended up at uh, SVA. Um, I spent some time doing some counseling uh, work, you know, per personal work, some recovery work, and, and, and really worked through a lot of issues. I continue to do that. It's, a, it's an ongoing process, which is part of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but uh, I, um, I, I needed a job. So um, I had, it was 2008. If you remember, the economy was in the tank and getting a job anywhere. And I have all these, you know, these transferable skills, you know, they should just, I should be able to have all these great job opportunities because I'm an actor and a pastor. Surely you understand the value to your company for that. So uh, with that in hand, I started pushing carts at Costco in Issaquah and uh, boxing groceries and making the, you know, the, the, the low wage began to climb, uh, working hard, trying to gain favor. And, and the Lord really did give me favor with a lot of people in that process. I see his hand through it all, um, but uh, came through that, and now I currently, for the past six years, I've been in the corporate office, which of course is right across the street, if you, if, unless you didn't know that. It's uh, in, in, on the same basic footprint, um, and uh, I currently hold a uh, position. Um, I help manage Costco's ocean movements to all of our overseas locations. If you weren't aware, we're in Asia, Australia, Europe, Iceland, and um, I, help, I help with coordination that and also the support of that. And so at the risk of getting into details that would bore most people, um, it's, it's a job that has given me a, a, a large uh, voice into that community. One of the things that, uh, that my wife and I have, have chosen to do, God, one day I was sitting in the pew and I felt like God said, said as I was praying over how do I make a difference 
where I am, right? And that was my prayer. I felt like God told me, uh, focus on this group of people. I work in a division. It's called the International Division at Costco, and there's about 70 people. And I felt like God say, invite them, feed them, and love them. And to be honest, I felt like there was a step missing. Well, what about the preach to them? What about the, you know, tell them what dirty, rotten people they are if they don't know Jesus? You know, where is that? Because, right, that was a part of the DNA of my upbringing, this evangelical stream. Um, But God didn't tell me to do those things. And uh, so my wife and I, after some prayerful consideration, we, uh, it it averages out about uh, once a month, uh, we have everybody over, and we do communal dinner, and people bring stuff, and they just come into our home, and it ends up being, it's never 70 people. It's usually, sometimes we've had as few as four, and so we've all sat around the same table. Sometimes it's 30. You never quite know, but, but I'm trying to be faithful in those things. And then, um, you know, it's funny, Craig and I, Craig, uh, the guitar player, he and I were talking a little bit beforehand. I, I feel like more and more I'm being called into the role of Yoda, not the role of Luke, if you understand the Star Wars metaphor there, that, that God more and more as I'm hitting this age, and I'm also seeing it at the church where we serve, because I'm still a worship leader, I'm still a preacher, but more and more at SVA, we have younger voices. So we have people in their late 20s and early 30s who are leading worship and, and preaching when Monty, our senior pastor, is not. And, and I see, even though I miss it, <laughs> and I want it to be a little bit about me, you know, because I'm still valuable, but I'm seeing more and more as I've taken now a leadership role, I'm, I'm an elder on, in our church, that I'm seeing more and more that God's call to me right in this phase is about being more Yoda, less Luke, more Paul, less Timothy, if you understand, to, to bring it into a biblical context. And so, um, so in, that, in that, guys, I have, uh, I filled in for um, Seattle Alliance uh, Church. Uh, I spent a year at May Valley while they were between pastors trying to get, um, trying to find their equilibrium a little bit. They have great leadership in that church, and um, they just needed someone to fill the pulpit so they could do these other pieces they needed to do in between, and, and I had the opportunity to be there. So, uh, so when this opportunity came up, it's like, yeah, Yes, I get to be with the Union Hill Church. And I knew Tom Osborne back in the day as a youth pastor. Um, Andre Enan, if you remember that name way back, right? Um, Andre, uh, I was so sad when he passed. But, um, but anyway, I, 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 I know this church in some ways, uh, but it also feels a little bit like a family reunion that I went to when I was a little kid. I'm telling too many stories. Um, but having, having thrown that out there, my, my great-grandfather was one of nine children. My grandfather was one of 11 children. And we had this mammoth family reunion one year. And it was great meeting all these people that I had no idea who they were, where they lived, anything about them. And yet, I found myself going, how are we similar? How are we different? You know? And so even as we were, as you, we were being led in worship this morning, going, man, some of this is really familiar. Wow, there's a song I don't know. And it was just, it's, that's what part of what I love in the, in the role that God has called me to for this season of just getting to go out and, and, and experience family I have, but I don't know them. <laughs> And getting to know how are we similar, how are we different, and it's just really exciting to be here. And I'm, and it's exciting to be in this church that really does feel like there's this fresh breath that's been breathed into this building. One thing, it's wonderful beautiful campus, you know, what, what you've cr- been able to create in here, but also Ben's leadership and just bringing some youthful uh, energy back into it. And then also knowing that you're supporting ministries all over the world is exciting. And some of us that are, that are getting older and, and we maybe have more discretionary income to support those kinds of things, that's such an important role. We may not have the energy to go and do and do and do, but we can give and give and give. 
and give out, have opportunities of support in many different ways. So it's my prayer as we, as we walk into this. I will get to the sermon. I know some of you are already looking at your watch going, man, this kid, he is, this is going to be a while. But, um, but let me just pray over us, if you would, and then, uh, then I'll, I'll transition into what I feel like God's called me to, uh, to speak on this morning. And Father, it is, it, it's so exciting to be with my family here today. And uh, it's ultimately my prayer, God, that the, the, most, the clearest voice that would be heard in this room and on this campus today would not be any one person, but it would be the, the person of the Holy Spirit. Because he and he alone, the Spirit alone, can discern and understand and speak a truth that is so clear to any one of us knowing our situation, knowing our need, and can breathe life into what feels like death, can breathe hope into, into what feels like dread. And so God, ultimately, would your voice be heard through your spirit moving in this place today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today, the, the sermon that, I'm, that I want to share with you, the lesson that I want to teach this morning is about, I've called it Through the Fire, and I realized after I named it, yeah, it's Shaka Khan had a great song in 1984 called Through the Fire, but, but this is, and, and there's a little bit of similarity, oddly enough, right? Go figure. But, but I think all of us in some ways will recognize this. What I want to do is, um, let's start in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I, I actually read from the NIV version. It's a little easier for me to, to talk through than, than some of the other translations. So uh, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. But, uh, but let's start with verse 3, and then we will, uh, we will move through this. Um, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is already is, that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When I came to the Alliance, one of the things that I thought was really beautiful about the Alliance is there's really this focus on Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Christ, and, and, and putting Jesus at the center, not a particular doctrine, not a particular interpretation of Scripture so much as let's put Jesus at the center and let that be the focal point. And as we, as we head into this, this text, part of what I think is so, so beautiful about this particular moment is, in, in, the, in the scriptures, is that in this text, we see the salvation that Jesus provides in three different phases. So, 
please hear me when I say, I hope you find salvation today. Because we talk about salvation in three specific and very clear different ways. We talk about justification, we talk about sanctification, and we talk about glorification. And if it was a timeline, there is a moment in time where we move in a, from a position of being distant from God to a place of being with God, in God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of our sins. We move from a place of being far from him to being justified because of him. And that begins our Christian journey. And there is, and there is this other end. And, and, and if, you, if you look at the text, the first part of it, he says, Peter says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. That's justification. He's talking about this moment where we have been born again. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, there's this other moment at the end, and we sang a little bit about it in the song, How Great Thou Art, where we have glorification. It's at the end of time, at the end of our earthly journey. We have this moment, and he says it in verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation, till the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's a salvation that comes at our justification. There is a salvation comes, that comes at our glorification. And there's this, there's this salvation that happens through our, through our sanctification. Sorry, I'm gonna, I, the, every, every church has their own little thing, right? And, the, and getting used to the headset is, the, is one of the things. <laughs> so bear with me, okay? Bear with me as, as I go through this. But as we're, as we're going through and we look at this idea of the justification that happens at the beginning of our journey with Jesus, at the beginning of our, of our salvation experience, part of what is happening there is that, that, that when, when Paul, he, he talks about justification very clearly in Romans 4.23, he says, it was credited to him, that is, he's talking about Abraham, because Abraham existed before the law was given, Right? And so he is making a point in Romans of saying, look, look, people outside the law, because, it used, because the, the thought at the time was, it was that, that it's possible that Jesus only came for the Hebrews. And he's making this argument that says, no, 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 it's beyond that. It's before the law. It's, it's outside of the law. It's for every man, every woman. And he is saying that he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life, talking about Jesus, for our justification. And so that's the first stage. And then we have this final stage, the, the glorification. And, and it's, it's really, we, it's in many ways, for those of us that believe, we, can, we, we like those two bookends. <laughs> it's, it's the thing, space in between that can get hard. It's that space in between the beginning and the end that can be so hard. You see, in the Old Testament, there were times where God does this purification process, right? We, we, he, he likens this idea of helping the children of Israel move from a place far from him to a place with him. And he talks about it with the purification. In Ezekiel twenty-two seventeen. you don't need to turn there. Let me just read it to you. Then the word of the Lord came to me, this is Ezekiel, 
Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. Now the word dross, if it's, it's a little bit old-fashioned in some senses. Dross is the idea of its impurities or, or lesser metals that are mixed in with very precious and pure metals. So he's saying, look, that, that, that the kingdom, or I'm sorry, that the children of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are copper, tin, iron, and lead left inside the furnace. They are but the dross of silver, silver being the, the focal metal in this, in this word picture. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you have all become dross, I will gather you into Jerusalem. As men gather silver, copper, iron, lead, and tin into their furnace and melt it with a fiery blast, so I will gather you in my anger and my wrath and put you inside the city and melt you. I will gather you and I will blow on you with fiery wrath and you will be melted inside of her. As silver is melted in the furnace, so you will be melted inside her and you will know that I, the Lord, have poured out my wrath upon you. Here, here's, I read that and I go, wow. Aren't you glad you live in, in the era of the presence of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Because in, in this context, the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit was really different. And so God used circumstances a lot to deal with the children of Israel, to get this dross, to get the impurity out of them. And so this is a context pre-Christ, pre-Holy Spirit, that, 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 we, that, that the the followers of God at the time, the followers of Yahweh at the time, what they had to go through. But in this age, in, in our current age, the, the, the era of the Holy Spirit being given to us to convict us of sin, to convict us of righteousness, and to convict us of judgment, God purifies us to better reflect Jesus in our lives in this process of sanctification. In, in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, right? That, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We become a new creation. We move from being far from God to being justified with God through Christ. The old is gone, and all things are becoming new. So even though we have this new creation, there is still this process that we must go through. Paul says it in, in Romans 12, or 12, yeah, Romans 12, 2. He says, look, that, that it, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And so there is this idea that there is this continual process that we must go through, that we must go through. And so why does God do this to us? <laughs> wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be better if we just like got you know, it was all, we were all good and ready to go. No, we still live in fallenness all around us. We still have parts of our lives that he is trying to refine. And why? Why? I don't know if you've ever bought or sold a home. I'm, 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 I'm certain many of us have. And maybe you've asked this question of your realtor, like I did the first time we were selling a home in Bellevue years ago. The question I had was, how much is our home worth? And the response from the realtor, because he was a professional realtor that understands prices move, his response was, 
it's worth what someone will pay for it. So if you take that same question, I'll ask this, what is a person worth? Well, a person is worth what someone will pay for it. What was paid on your and my behalf? What did God do? What did he pay for us to move from a place of being far from him to a place of being with him? He paid the life of Jesus. So in that basic business economic formula, you, do you understand you have value in the eyes of God, the equivalent of that of Jesus? And so you are too valuable not to continue to refine, not to continue to, to get the impurities out so that you better reflect the person of Christ. I have a friend who was, uh, there was a, a company in, it was based in Kirkland, it went bankrupt years ago now, it's called Royal Oak Mining. I don't know, maybe some of you remember that. Royal Oak Mining, among other things, they mined gold. I was talking with him as I was prepping this sermon years ago. I was talking with him and I said, you know, uh, you know they, they, they put the gold in the, in the furnace, at least the way it's described in the olden days, right? And it's in this crucible and, it's, and they skim it off, right? This idea of skimming off the dross. And he said, you know, in the smelters of modern refining, they run it through and they separate the two and, and, and what's left over is called coke. And what they do is they, then they take the coke and they run it through again. And they will run the coke through multiple times trying to extract every last bit of gold because gold is so valuable. And so as we, as we move into this and as we see that, that Paul in his, in his, or I'm sorry, that Peter says, he says, uh, these have come that you, as it says, though now for a little while you have had to suffer in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold. I did a little research on the value of gold these days. <laughs> the value of gold these days, at least on the 19th of February, this last week, the cost of gold per ounce is $1,336.90. Then I thought, huh, I wonder what the cost of lead is. And I went out there, and it's interesting. The commodity pricing for lead is $1,948 per ton. <laughs> and quick math would let you know, I always have to do it on a spreadsheet because I'm not that good at math, Six cents an ounce compared to $1,336 per ounce. And then I began to kind of even break it down a little bit more. I took my ring off and I weighed it. My ring, my wedding band, not pure gold, right? My wedding band, like most, most gold jewelry, is, a, is, a, is an alloy. It's mixed with other things. But if my gold band was pure gold, my gold band weighs about, it's about a quarter of an ounce. And so if you break it down, the value of this, of this band, if it was pure gold, would be about $355. Then I grabbed this fishing weight made of lead. And the value of this, they weigh about the same. The value of this is four cents. Now here's, 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 
Here's what I love about the way God has created the universe. If you look at the atomic weight, for those of you that are chemists, you'll have to give me a little grace here, okay? I'm an arts guy, right? I did arts because I didn't want to do math or science in college. That's, that was the driving factor in all of these things. But lead and gold have a very similar atomic weight. They, they mirror each other in many ways. They're both rather malleable. And again, I'm talking about pure gold, not the alloy I have in my hand, right? You're with me though, right? That, that lead and gold are both rather malleable. They have very similar properties. But yet the value is vastly different in our day and age. And it was true back in that day and age too. And here's what Satan will do. Satan has convinced you you are just lead. It feels a little like gold, but you're just lead. Your value, eh, pennies on the, pennies on the dollar. Pennies on the hundreds of dollars. That's your value. And Satan will try to convince you of that. Or he will try to say, well, see, that stuff in your life that maybe God is trying to refine out of you, that stuff in your life, eh, you know, you're pretty close. Close enough. And we will, take, we will take the process of refining that God may be doing in our life and we will squelch it in some manner so that both of these things try to coexist. And we will buy into a lie that says, you're okay, you're good enough, God, God can be done with you, you don't have to go through this, whatever this happens to be. But God loves us too much. He doesn't say, say, my son died for the lead in your life. He says, the son died, my son died because you are pure gold. It may not feel that way. You may have been told the lie. You may have believed the lie. You may have intermingled these things your whole life. But let me tell you something. You are pure gold to me. And you, need, you must recognize all these pictures of, of what heaven will look like, the streets of gold, the, the pearly gates, the, the, the precious gems that surround the city of God. You understand those are just a reflection of something far greater than we can ever imagine. It was the, it was the context that helped us understand at the time how cool it's going to be. And as cool as you think heaven is going to be, it is going to be so much more than that. So much more. And it's that hope, it's that hope that anchors us. But there's a reality of what we are going through now that we have to be aware of and we have to be cognizant of and we have to go through the fire. Now make no mistake, God loves you as you are, where you are, absolutely. You don't have to try and get this let out yourself. You don't have to put on your makeup. You don't have to, you know, somehow explain away and how. He loves you exactly where you are, as you are. But he also loves you toward all you are. In the same way, you can love your child 
or a, or a child that you perhaps love and have built your life into, if you do not have your own, you, you, you know you will love them, but you don't want them to just stay that way. You want them to mature. You want them to, to become adults. You want them to be responsible. You want them to be a good citizen. You want them to be generative into our culture. You want these things for, for them, and it's the same for God. My wife and I were up in Bellingham. I have a son who's about to graduate uh, with his bachelor's degree in the spring, and then our daughter is about to graduate with her master's degree. They're both up at Bellingham at Western together, and we had lunch yesterday, and, and there's a part of me that I'm so excited for them. Not just for the, for the, for the sense of, a, of an economic boost I'm going to get when they're both out of college. I'm saying, you know, I'm excited for them because this is what we've been preparing them to do. And there's another part of me that's actually really sick because... They don't need me as much anymore. More Yoda, less Luke, right? More, more counselor, less authority in their lives. But I, and I've been proud of them at every step of the way, but I never wanted them to remain there. I've never wanted, as there is a part of me that wants them to just be little kids again, need their daddy, and we go do stuff, and we run to McDonald's and have a great time. And, but but I always wanted them. They are becoming exactly who I was hoping they would be. And the Father has the same view toward you and toward me. Become all that I have for you. Become everything I want you to be. And, and that happens through the fire. It happens through the difficulty of this world. And so if, you, if you're a note taker... I got three points, right? I got three points that I want to walk with you through. Points of application. The, the first point is this. We go through absolutely. <laughs> we go through absolutely. No one gets to walk this world without going through the fire. The, the, the process of being refined. We all go through it. And actually, you, you can extrapolate this. It, it's not limited to the world of Christendom. <laughs> it is true of all people. We live in fallenness. The new heaven, the new earth has not been established yet. All of us walk through the fire. But you will walk through the fire. And sometimes those, those fires are what we might think of as indirect fires. It's circumstances. It's the economic situation or the governmental or, or the world politic situation. Could be natural disaster. Things that, that sort of feel like they're just coming from outside. There are these indirect ways. And then there are these more direct ways. Primarily the direct ways come through the conviction of the Holy Spirit for those that believe in, in Jesus. And we will have this fire of conviction of things he wants us to pay attention to, the Spirit wants us to pay attention to. It may come through your marriage. It may come through your children. It may be friends or coworkers. It could be extended family. It could be sickness. It could be addiction. It could be these, these things, these fires that, 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 that God is going to use, these circumstances that God is going to use to point out, to, to purge you, to refine you. And, and here's the problem. I, here's one of the problems I think sometimes we, we get with, uh, 
one of the ways we can miss the refining process or miss the fire or try to avoid the fire is that, that we, we're, we're in sanctification. It's painful. We don't like it. I don't like it. I don't think anyone really likes it. We might um, embrace it to a certain degree, but we wish it could be easier. And, and we get so focused on glorification. Now, glorification, that idea of, of what's going to come at the end, it's a good place to, to stay anchored. <laughs> it's a good place to remind ourselves there is something better than this world to come. As much as, even if I can embrace the relationships here, if there are people that, that, that both within your family and outside your family that you love and embrace, and, and they make this part of the journey so much better, we know that there is something even better in store for us on the other side of this world. But sometimes we become so focused on that that we, we become myopic to it and we miss the journey. We miss the journey. We, 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 get, we get focused on when it's all going to be passed. And we, we miss maybe what God is doing right now. We, we focus on pie in the sky, by and by, the sweet by and by, and we miss the nasty now and now. Because the same spirit that is about helping us understand what that's going to be about is the same spirit wanting to take us through the fire. God is sufficient to take us through justification. He's, su- he's sufficient for glorification and he's su- sufficient for sanctification that you and I have to walk through. There's another distortion of the gospel, I believe, that says, hey, if once you become in Christ, everything's going to be fine. And if your life is difficult or finances aren't what aren't what they should be for you. If, if, there's, if there is difficulty in your life, if you have addiction, if you have trauma that, you, that, that continually binds you up and pulls you back, all of that, if you just pray harder, see, you shouldn't be experiencing that. See, that's, that's a misappropriation of the gospel. It is missing the gospel. And the gospel that flows into sanctification. And usually, if you pray harder and if you give more to the ministry of the person who's trying to sell you that that storyline, then things will be better for you. It's just not. It's just not true. It's just not true. Now, Satan will try and convince you it's just the way it is. You can't do anything about it. Life's not going to get better. Just, you know, grind it out. And and somewhere, somewhere in the tension between these things is this voice of the Spirit and the voice of the Father saying, trust me, have faith in me. Watch me. We will not get... We will not get around the fires. We can delay the fires, but we won't. We are. We will go through the fires. The things that I, as I shared my uh, part of my testimony, I talked about kind of burning out in ministry, flaming out, burning bridges, and that idea that uh, that there were leadership lessons I was not willing to trust God with. There were, there were things I believe he was trying to reveal to me. Dwight, you're a poser. Dwight, 
I've made you exactly the way I've made you on purpose to lead in a specific way. Who you are is enough for the assignment I have given you. That was part of the lesson God was trying to teach me and I didn't trust it and I did my thing and burned out. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. Eight years later, I'm at Costco. I'm in a leadership position. And the very same lesson God was wanting to take me through as a pastor, God is now taking me through as a manager in a company. He's trying to say, I'm surrounded by type A people all around me. I am not a type A guy. And I don't, I, I question my, my contribution. I question my voice all the time. And God is saying to me, Dwight, I have put you here for a purpose. Who you are is enough for right now. And so I speak my voice, and I speak my truth, and I live out what my, to the best of the, my understanding what it means for me to be a leadership in leadership for this place and this time in this company. I was avoiding the fire before. I'm going through it now. Some days grateful even though it hurts some days you know <laughs> complaining i want it to be easier i want the sanctification process to be easier i want to be sanctified without the fire but it's just not it's just i, I, I it's not possible now like paul where paul's saying hey i i am pressing forward to win a prize we want to keep our, it's the prize, it's the prize that keeps it, it's worth it, because the prize, moving closer and closer to that prize is worth it, and the more refined we are, the more clearly people will see that it's not Dwight, that it's Jesus, that it's not you, that it's Jesus. It's something beyond what this world would offer them. That, that, that the clearer they see that, the more likely they are to want to know, why are you so different? What makes you that way? And so we, we will go through the fire, absolutely. We will also go through the fire uniquely. <laughs> that would be the second point. More than once, I have been in a time of prayer and said, why are you telling me to do this when this guy, or not to do something when this guy gets to do it all the time? And I'll compare their journey to mine. And I'll say, why this, why that, why? You see, in the same way, and those of you that maybe have had more than one child, or you have been a part of a family unit that has more than one child as a nephew, niece, something like that, you know that they are absolutely unique personalities. Even though they have more DNA in common with each other than they do with, the, any, with either of the parents, they are absolutely unique. Or maybe you have siblings, right? You just know this, right? You are absolutely unique individuals. We are absolutely unique. And just as a parent needs to learn, part of our process as a parent is how to, like for my kids, uh, Malia is our daughter, she's the oldest. Mike is our son, he's, he, he is, he's about 18 months younger than she is. Part of my job as a parent has been, Lord, how do I love Malia uniquely and help her in her unique journey in this world? How do I love Micah uniquely and how do I help him through his unique 
journey in this world. All of us, each of us, has a unique journey. And God is wanting to walk us through that unique journey. And so it's going to look different for you than it does anybody else. Your journey through this is unique. The sanctification process will be unique. And if it was left at that, it, could, it, I, it would feel a little discouraging, I think. <laughs> but not only is, will you go through the fire absolutely, you will go through the fire uniquely, you also go through the fire collectively. <laughs> we are all going through some form of a fire. Could be your job, could be any myriad of things, disease, difficulty with the children, children going through really hard things, right? We, we are each, we are each going through a journey, but we are all going through a journey, and we're here. We're going through it together in many ways. There was a pastor once who was preaching, and he, he was likening the sanctification process to cooking fish. <laughs> He's talking about his grandmother who was cooking fish, and part of the reason you put it in the oven is that there are, there are things, there are toxins inside that fish that come out when you cook it. And then he said, and, and as the fish is coming out, and only grandma knows when, they, when the right time for it to come out, when the fish comes out, you better come out with a shout because there's some other fish going right in after you. <laughs> and as we walk through this journey together, it is important to talk about and share about the goodness of what God is doing, not only at the end of the process, but throughout the entire process because it will encourage each other. We will encourage each other through that. And so when we get together, why is it so easy to talk about how the Seahawks are doing or how the Mariners are doing or what's going on in politics or, or what's, you know, who's hot and who's not, whatever it is. We can talk about all manner of stuff, but if we're not sharing with each other, how is God helping me through the fire? How is this working? Whatever, whatever word you, you ascribe to that, how are you doing really you get to share. You get to, and in some ways, even sharing it takes the fangs out of some of that pain. It eases the fire because we're able to, we're able to share it. We're able to shoulder one another's burdens. We can bring people around us who care. They can't fix the fire, but they can help encourage us to keep going. And so not only are we going to go through it absolutely, we're going to go through it uniquely, we will also go through it collectively. I'm going to have uh, Catherine, if the team would come up. I just want to, I'm going to segue. She's, uh, we, were, we were emailing back and forth. We were emailing back and forth this week just a little bit and talking about the worship and all that. And one of the songs that hit me as I was prepping this week is a song that we're actually going to sing soon. But I want to just share with you the lyric, if I can, before we sing it. It's, it's a song called Blessings. And it starts this way. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. All the while, you hear each spoken need, yet love is way, you love us way too much to give us lesser things. 
Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if trials in this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love as if every promise in your word is not enough. All the while, you hear each desperate, desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to believe. When friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds us that this is not, this is not our home. So what if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world cannot satisfy? What if trials of this life, the rains, the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies in disguise? Father, it's my prayer that as we kick and wail sometimes, that even in those moments, we would even then have faith. Even if it doesn't look pretty, even if we're, even if our attitude is just off the rails. And I pray that we would feel a sense of freedom to talk about that with each other, that we don't have to come together with it all figured out, with, with, with feeling peace about stuff all the time, that we could come together as the church and say, I'm really struggling with, with a sense that God really loves me today or this week or this year because blank. Because even if we know it's true, even if we are aware and believe with all of our hearts that you truly love us, some days it feels like you don't love us as much. And I pray that we could be honest about that, that we could walk through this fire together, that we could, we could, uh, that we could talk down the lies of Satan, trying to convince us of things that are not true about your character, that are not true about what you were seeking to accomplish. And that we could walk through things candidly, directly, that ultimately God would would serve as 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 a pathway toward understanding how much you love us, how great your good is, Uh, goodness is to us and give us a voice to also encourage those around us that are going through the fire. Bless this church. Bless the leadership to create a church where that can really happen because that's the world wants people that will be honest about this stuff. 